A huge shout-out of thanks to our major sponsor, Pertech. If you have Pertech on your team, they will never let you down. Visit Pertech at pertech.com.au. And for all your travel needs, make sure you visit our great friends at Tripadil. Tripadil.com.au. Welcome team today for me, what, a, what an opportunity to sit in front of someone who sits in front of hundreds of thousands of people every night, millions of people a week on TV and now the roles are reversing mm-hmm. a little bit so uh, let's see how I go uh, friends but the reason as, you, as everybody knows I bring people who are at the top of their game, Peter Overton. You are at the top of your game. You are number one. You've been that for so long. You've been in this your game for 30-odd years. Thank you so much for your time. Nothing is scripted here. No. Nothing is scripted. I like that. This, this podcast for me is I always ask people, oh, sorry, when I'm talking to you, I'm thinking how can this help someone else, the listener. Yeah. So in and amongst the conversation, understand that I'm always – trying to get little nuggets of gold out of you mm. around your your lessons in life that may help accelerate someone else's career or inspire them in some way. Hayden, usually I do the interviews and I always um, get a sense of uh, nervousness when I'm being interviewed. So I tend to talk a lot. So you might have to put the brakes on me a bit. Don't be afraid to interrupt me. No, well, that's perfect. <laughs> so let's, I mean, a lot of people know you and what they see every night, but... I love starting with getting to know mm. where it all started, just quickly, yeah. um, so nobody has to go and Google and Wikipedia you, like tell me a little bit about your story and then we just go for it. Well, I, I, I was born in England, uh, my, my father met my mother at Royal North Shore Hospital, dad was a doctor, mum was a nurse, they went to England, dad did his specialty, anaesthesia, and I came along and uh, moved back here, been here, I'm 50, well I'm nearly 58. And uh, I went to Lane Cove Public, North Sydney Boys High, Macquarie University. I studied uh, economics there and communications. But I always wanted to work in the media. I didn't want to be an economist. So when I was 15, I got some work experience at radio station 2UE, which was a juggernaut back then, and uh, got on air aged 18 and never looked back. I love people's stories. And that's, I think, the foundations of why I'm still in the game. Been at 9.33 years and... uh, I just love people's stories. Well, that's you just make a great point. It's a love of it. Mm. That's a foundation. So there's there's, a, there's some real gold in that that alone, you know. Um, well, everyone has a story. Hey? Yes. Everyone yeah. has a story, whether it's yeah. the waiter at the local pizza shop yeah. that when I go on date night with my wife, she says, Peter, are we going to interview the waiters tonight or are we going to talk? Yes. But everyone has a story and sometimes they can really surprise you when you hear about it, or the cabbie who is actually a former doctor from another country or whatever. Yeah. I just love learning love about that. people. I've learned a lot about you talking off camera. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I guess I, I worked that out straight away. The way we were talking, we were just sharing each other's story right from the mm. start. So now I'm going to delve into some little inspiring little parts of your story. When you say you went to work experience at mm. 15, what was that like and who do you remember any lessons you learnt or any people that influenced you back then? 
Well, certainly people who influenced me, uh, the late John Brennan, who was known as Mr Radio, the king of radio, um, he, he was the one that gave me the opportunity. I used to go, and, and it was about work ethic and working hard, and I contrast that to the current generation who I think, and you know, my daughters included, they want everything to be instantaneous, yeah. and they want it all to happen now. They're not prepared to put in the hard yakka. And I, I put in the hard yakka and he inspired me. I used to sit in the studio after everyone had gone home on a weekend, after a 12-hour 12, 12 day on Saturday, 12-hour day on Sunday, all for free, collating sports results, and I'd read news scripts and I'd record it. I'd leave the, the tape on his desk and for 12 months I didn't hear anything back and then one day the phone rang at mum and dad's. There were no mobiles then. And he said, you're on. I said, have you listened? He said, I've been listening and you've been getting better and better. You're on. And I'll never, ever forget it. So John Brennan was my inspiration and gave me my start. Right, okay. And then the practice. Like you said you wanted, mm. but not everyone is born so polished at speaking and presenting. I wasn't polished, I promise. So talk to me about the practice. Well, I'd sit, I'd sit in there and I'd read news scripts and I'd listen to them back and I'd go, oh, that's ropey. And I'm sure I was ropey when I was first on air. And even now I try. Every night, Hayden, I, I, I am working to get better whether you're a footballer and a, yeah. and a high performance coach so you know that in a player or in your your yeah. role I'm always wanting to come off air going gee that was good or gee I handled that problem really well like the other night the every all the technology just exploded in front of me and I just put my head down and said because we were an earpiece and producer a floor up I said where would you like me to go now rather you know this is a team environment I don't like saying Oh, we've got a technical problem. So, oh, just you know, where would you calmly be calm? Um, so, I've lost my train of thought. No, a bit no, here, no. But, but you're going in a, yeah. a great track because you just mentioned rugby league or for sport that that I'm involved in. We we would have if something goes wrong, pretty much four Fs we would follow. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first one I won't say what that is, but the next one will be fix it. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Mm -hmm. Focus on your next job. Hundred percent. So, in that example, you've got people that are fixing it. You've just forgotten it. You're staying very calm, mm. and you're saying, "Where do you want me to go next?" Yeah, and focus on your next job because that, they've got the hands on the controls. Yeah. While I'm in charge on air, in terms of you know what what I say or what I do is what's going out to you in your home. I also have a team around me, and I I love having a team that I trust. Yes. Because it brings the best out in me. And then when it does hit the fan, I can simply say, because I trust them, where would you like me to go now? Perfect. And the punters at home love a mistake. I love that. Of course. Too. <laughs> of course. So when you say team, what is behind such a production team? I mean, we have a producer here with a couple of cameras and lights, but I dare say Channel 9 News is a mm. bit bigger. What? Yeah. Talk to me about... Prepar preparation for a show. Okay. Well, it's 24 hours a day news. And I'm listening to, believe it or not, I'm listening to the radio news at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. I, I, I love it. I'll, I'll flick onto the papers on my phone if I can't sleep. But at Channel 9, we've just moved recently into a state-of-the-art building in North Sydney. And we're a huge company now. It's not only television, it's radio, it's newspapers, it's Stan, it's Domain, it's, it's huge. Yeah. But in our, we've got this super newsroom. It's, it's massive and it's full of producers, full of digital producers, social media producers, chiefs of staff. 
when I when I, I know what's going on early in the day, what we're looking at, I get to work, you know, usually 11-ish. Um, I love to be part of a team. I sit on a massive desk as part of the team. Yesterday, for instance, I was, you know, in constant conversation with the executive producer and the supervising producer and the deputy news director about the lead story. I didn't think the lead story was the right one and we all had a conversation. So it's, it's, it's that environment where everyone has a voice and I've worked in the newsrooms where only one person has the voice and that was the boss and it wasn't a great, yeah. great way. It's everyone has a voice. Now that voice can come from a news editor, it can come from a news cameraman, it can come from anyone who says, what about this? Or have you thought of that? And if I can tell you a story, I was in North Korea, in South Korea, I should say, driving to the airport after doing a story um, with, a, with a wonderful uh, Korean War veteran from Australia. And I was talking to the producer about how we'd start the story. And he said, why don't we start it like this? And the sound man said, what about doing it like this? And we went, yeah. What a great idea. The sound man. Yeah. Creative. Invested in the story. Invested in what we were doing. And that's how we began the story. With his idea, sitting in a minivan with all our gear, travelling to Seoul Airport, heading to the next destination. Brilliant. You know, talking to you in this environment is like what I'm used to seeing in sporting environments. The best head coaches do that. Right. Is that like, right? Like... Ivan Cleary, Trent Robinson, those, well, two those of my times. heroes. Well, there you go. Those, so I feel good about that. Yeah. Well, well, I've been privileged to work with both those men, but their way of leading and and collaborating with a group of staff and making making this building the staff up. So mm. the the best leaders are building everyone mm. up and mm. building the staff up. And uh, you just mentioned like sitting around and, and, and collaborating, those guys will do that with their staff yeah. all the time. And you know, Hayden, the, other, the thing that irritates me is when certain people say, I'm, I don't like that, fix it, I don't, I don't want that, or a report hasn't gone as well as it should. I'll find my way to that person, that young reporter usually, and say, are you okay? Because, you know, that might, yeah. it might, there might have been a bit of, bit of pushback. But I said, Did you, have you thought about doing it this way? Or have you ever thought about having a look at it from this perspective? So they have ownership. I'm just feeding them a, a, a thought from me. And then they, grow, they yeah. grow a leg or whatever. And I think that's the way to manage people because I think criticism and, and uh, shouting doesn't work. And I don't like being shouted at. Anyone yeah. shouts at me, shut down on them. Yeah. It will not, and, and that's happened to me in the past where I just shut down. It doesn't bring the best out in me at all. Yes. I don't like... I don't like sniping. I don't like negativity. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really enjoying this chat because you th you think like a head coach thinks. Even the way you said you just deal with a staff member brought back a memory of myself working with Wayne Bennett in 2008 that I'll cherish forever. And Wayne would do that. I was fairly young, and he would he would do that to me. He'd come up and say, "I really love that." drill you were doing there could you try this with it tomorrow so if you do this with it tomorrow that's going to take us to the next level and but the way he would you speak, owned it yeah he would he would let me own it and he would make me feel mm. 10 foot 10 tall. foot tall and and you know like the end of the series 
it was a World Cup with the Kiwis at the time and you'd sign your book and say, you know, you make a difference or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and you realise you did make a difference, but, but it's because of him and the way he made you. Yeah, yeah and he, he becomes that leader that even to this day, I love the man, mm. you know. Well, like you can go two ways, can't yeah. you? If, if he came in and said, that's not the way to do it, I've told you that before, yeah. then you're just going to go, you know, and every, every next step you take, you're going to be wondering, looking over your shoulder. Yes. If he comes in and gives you, think about it that way yes. or approach it that way. Wow, the confidence that gives you, me, anyone. Yeah. And I still, get, I still like it when someone says, have you thought about this or have yeah, you thought okay. about that? Because that only enhances performance and every day you want to enhance your performance. Yeah. But even talking, talking to you about your preparation <laughs> is like talking to a head coach, which on this podcast, a lot of my listeners are coaches, teachers, trainers, leaders of businesses. Mm. It's that type of mm. audience. Mm. So it, it is fascinating. Your preparation starts at 3 a.m. in the morning. Well, listening, you, listening. You then go yeah. and collaborate with a team at, say, 11 a.m. And, and we all see you at 6 p.m. Yeah. Well, I think also you've got – so I always think I'm a journalist who can read AutoQL. Right. And And – so you know, you've got to know what's going on because if there is a technical failure or they say to you in your ear, hey, the Prime Minister's available in three minutes about X, Y, Z, and it's happened where I remember interviewing Kevin Rudd about a health policy that had just been signed off at one minute to six in Western Australia, I think, or somewhere. And, and if, you know, you've got to be across it. But that's yeah. enjoyable. That's why you do the job is well, to be immersed in the information and the... And, and the... And the the things that make your country tick. Yes. Well, could you tell me about that then? The love of, I know you had a love of journalism. We spoke about the 15-year-old in mm. you that just worked hard. Mm. But now we, millions of people see you every week. What? And you don't last 30 plus years if you're not brilliant at your job. You don't last. You'd be gone in a year. So we know that, but this love bit, you just mentioned the word enjoy before you said love. What do you love about this six o'clock gig? Well, because you are going it's, out it's, to the whole country. Yeah, well, it's, it's a great question. I love the ability to communicate and to connect with people. So, what you see on camera. And what you see off camera is the same person. I've seen that. It's not a performance. It's yeah. just me being invited into someone's home or around a baggage carousel at Sydney Airport or wherever. Yeah. Um, and, and communicating, this is your day. This is the daily record of what happened. And I always say, um, if we have drinks, or I, <clears throat> I'll tell you a funny story in a sec, but <clears throat> excuse me, I conduct a lot of tours around the newsroom now. Um, but I always say I'm just the lucky fella at the end of the day who represents the helicopter pilot, the graphic artist, the cameraman, the soundman, um, the, the producers, the chiefs of staff, the news director, the accountants, all who, all cogs in this wheel. Yeah. I'm just the lucky bugger who sits there at the end of the day and represents all their hard work. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it. But I do love communicating. I do love... And then when you're out and about, you know, um, pe people are very generous of spirit. Um, because in news, it's longevity and you yes. are being invited into, into someone's house. home. And one of the big moments that, that it really hit home for me, and it actually wasn't when I was doing the news, it was when I was a reporter for 60 Minutes. I, I did a lot of stories on mental health. The late John Westacott, who was our executive producer, allowed me to do a story on mental health 
every year. And, and marrying Jessica, my wife, was, um, you know, she taught me a lot about mental health because she's a huge advocate in that space and with a mother who's, you know, had bipolar or has bipolar. But I was in Paris, of all places, walking through an airport. I'd just done a story on the riots, I think, or something. And this young woman came up. She was Australian. She said, Peter, thank you so much for doing that story on, um, on youth suicide or, or on, on your, your mother-in-law's bipolar. That's my mum, my dad, my brother, my sister, my grandson, whatever. It, it, it re that's when it hit home. Yes, yes. That's when it hit home that, you know, communicating in a simple way can make a difference. And someone on the other side of the world comes up and says that. Yeah, oh, it's huge. Because it makes it's a difference. Yeah, it's huge. You just mentioned 60 Minutes. I'd be crazy not to go there because that must have brought some experience. Yeah. And well, um, I know we've only got, we, we're not going to sit here for hours, but you would have that many experiences yeah. you could share. Yeah, incredible. Have you, have you got any, have you got any, if I just said, give us your best time in 60 Minutes, your best story? Mm. I could never answer that. Oh, um, okay. It's hard. Well, I was lucky. I was, at, you know, I was at the 2000 Sydney Olympics reporting for news, and yeah. my phone rang, and it was the boss of 60 Minutes saying we need to have lunch. And I paused and thought, why does he want me to have lunch? And uh, anyway, I said I can have lunch in 10 days because I've got to report on the Olympics. And so began this. The last thing on my my thoughts that I'd ever be a 60 Minutes reporter. So we travelled the world for up to eight months of the year yeah. for nearly a decade, and it was incredible. The best story, I don't know. I've, I've done it. I've been all through Africa. I've floated in, you know, 60,000 feet over Moscow in a plane. I've, I've interviewed that many celebrities. I've um, incredible experiences in the Persian Gulf on warships. But often I'll, I'll take it back to people who I've met who I think were my the stories that inspired me the most. So there's a guy called Nick Vujicic. I've done three stories on him, born without arms and legs. Right. Um, he lives in Los Angeles. He's a preacher yeah. now. But he, 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 phenomenal attitude to life. Phenomenal. Okay. And I remember on the end of a long trip, five-week trip, we had to go to LA to do this, to do Nick. And I, I was sort of reading the brief thinking, okay, well, this will be interesting. Well, man, we hit it off like there was no tomorrow. And uh, he, we sat on the beach at uh, Malibu, and I said, what are your dreams, Nick? He said, I'd love to fall in love. I'd love to meet, you know, meet someone, get married, and I'd love to be a dad. And then he, we kept in touch, and he rang me, and he said, I've got some news. I've, I've, um, I've got married. I'm, I said, wow, can we come back? He said, right, I took a bit of persuading. So we went all the way back to L.A. and married this beautiful woman, told the story of their love story, all this vision that he gave us. We sat in the same spot on the beach, with this time with her, the her wife, and I said, what are your dreams as a couple? To have children. And she said, we've actually got some news. Anyway, they now have four children and we've been back again. Been back again. And sat on the same beach again and yeah. with all these kids running around. Inspirational story. Chris O'Brien, the head and neck surgeon, um, died of a brain tumour, the worst brain. Uh, terrible time. Inspirational human being. Yeah. Interviewed him from diagnosis to his state funeral. And um, another, another great one was Paul de Gelder. You might remember him. He was the Navy diver that was attacked by the shark right. in Sydney Harbour, lost arm and leg. Yes, and, yeah. and he was a tough, you know, he's a, he was like a clearance diver, which is sort of the SAS of the Navy. Yeah. And I'll never forget how tough he was when I first met him because we got the story. Anyway, <clears throat> loved meeting him and loved almost um, shepherding him into 
into a, a little bit more softness as he, you know, had to deal with uh, losing his limbs. And yes. he, he's, he's an inspiration. So I think they're my favourite stories. Yeah, okay. Inspirational so, people. Well, part of this podcast is I try to get people's stories that will inspire. So mm. we must follow up on some of those stories and relive them because I noticed I did a little bit of homework on you on YouTube. There's a lot of, a lot of little clips there and I found um, always the Defence Force type ones yeah. you are really into, you're yeah. very passionate about. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that. I'm a, a wing commander in the Royal Australian Air Force. I saw that. Reserve. Talk to me about that. <laughs> no, well, I never knew that until I prepared to come here this morning. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, I, I love defence and I love the men and women of def in defence. And uh, a, a lot of stories with 60. You know, I've been to a, a yeah. Persian Gulf on warships. I, I've uh, been on patrol boats for the asylum seekers. And, um, you know, when they were patrolling up, incredible. Then I've met incredible human beings. Is, and that, that was my takeout when I always left these stories. Was, I felt that. So much respect you had yeah, for them. Yeah. yeah. And then... I ended up getting, uh, I was asked to sit on a National Defence Force Council for s employers supporting their reservists. And I did that for, I don't know how long, seven or eight years. And then I know I host these big functions at the War Memorial, um, honouring employers who support their reservists. And one night, um, this fabulous Air Commodore with more gold on scrambled eggs on his cap than from the Air Force came up to me. He said, would you ever think about joining the Air Force Reserves? I said, no. He said, well, think about it, because we'd love to have you. Um, and cut a long story short, um, their centenary was coming up. And uh, he came to Sydney and we talked about it. And I was recruited. I went in as a wing commander. And I have had the most fabulous experiences, from flying in Hercules to hosting the Chief of Air Force changeover to doing all sorts of things. And my take, like all sorts of things, and my takeout every time is the people. And I go back to Channel 9 of the newsroom and I go, I did officer training school back in 2022. Uh, and I went back to the newsroom. That was eight days of a fire hose of information being poured down our throats. I was with trauma surgeons and lawyers and engineers, all drawn from all, we're specialist capability officers. So, yeah. and, and, and we're all put together because we bring a specialist capability to Air Force. Yeah. And it was the most awesome week of my life. Fascinating. Fascinating. One of the best podcast episodes I've really enjoyed was with a, a pilot named Matt Hall, who ended oh, up yeah. he ended up winning a the Red Bull Air yeah, Racing, yeah. but he 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 fought fighter jets. Yeah, amazing. And his story, I'll send you the podcast. He was there's basically eight seconds or he was dead. Wow. And he's flying over Baghdad, it was midnight and he was flying for the American Air Force. And there's two people in the jet and the person behind him says, there's a missile locked on. I don't know what the, <coughs> the language was, but um, there's a missile was locked on them. And he turned the plane and he had a look and it was there. So he did whatever and had another look. And he, and he actually said, I had goosebumps. I still mm -hmm. do thinking about it. He said, I thought, uh-oh, we could be gone here. And he did some sort of manoeuvre. And the missile went past. Wow. Like it was. Wow. And this is in a $100 million jet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was blown away. But then getting to learn 
how he prepared, how he stayed calm, how he backed his training. Mm. And it was fascinating. I'll mm. send you the episode. Please. He, he was, and I actually then went and had a little joy flight with him. Mm-hmm. He does this, some joy flights mm. up near Newcastle, obviously in a different level of playing. Mm. And he reenacted it for me. Wow. It was fascinating. It sounds like a scene out of Top Gun. Yeah, it was really good. But it is about backing yourself and backing yeah. your training and backing your muscle memory. So yes. when I host election coverages or whatever, I, I, I or the Queen's funeral, or whatever, you know, I, I put in weeks and weeks of preparation of of, le- of, of soaking up information. Yeah. And then you are nervous before the coverage that, you know, and nerves enhance performance yeah. for me. And, uh, but then you're on air and you, you, it's, I've got this because you've, you've done the prep. Yes. You've trained yourself. Okay, you just mentioned Top Gun. I have to go there because if you YouTube you, the first thing pops up is Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that experience uh, because I, I was laughing, I was watching and going, I can't wait to talk to you about this. But then I realised everyone must talk to you about this. Yeah, every day. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> Not every day. But no, it's, a, it's obviously a popular question. Look, Tom, that was an interesting an interesting moment for both of us in our lives, I think. Um, um, Tom was married to Nicole, who I grew up with. I think they, they, well, they had just divorced and I went to do the interview. I'd been at the Pope's funeral, I think, and we got sent to LA for War of the Worlds. And um, I didn't think Tom would remember me, but I'd met him a few times. Um, and I had to do a sort of an induction into Scientology as well as part of the, seemingly part of the interview. And it was just an interesting time in his life and uh, I didn't expect it, the interview to go the way it did, but I think I just, in all honesty, I just um, maintained who I am. I was true to, I didn't, you know, I'm not a shouter or I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I didn't, I'm not an angry person. I just said, oh, well, I think they're fair questions. And, you know, famously he said, you know, put your manners back in and you've crossed the line. And, and that, that's, that, that's how it played out. And it was... I remember at the end saying to the producer, I was, it was, I was pretty taken aback by the whole lot. How'd that go? He said, top five interview of what, 60 <laughs> minutes all time, whatever. I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, so but you know what? I have no Ill, Ill will towards Tom one iota. Yeah. What he's yeah. done for Hollywood uh, with Top Gun Maverick, with Mission Impossible, he's kept people employed, he's delivered great joy. You know, I, I have... Incredible respect for him as an actor and what he's done. Yeah, I, I really mean, do. Some of his, I don't hold anything risk. in the tank. I don't. Yeah. I don't hold. Gro- I don't. I don't. I just move on. Well, that's good. That's good because there's a little message there. That that I was going to ask, how did that affect you after, and you just move straight. Oh, on. you know, at the time it was pretty full on. There was, was a it? lot of publicity around it, and yeah. so. But you, you got to move on. If you hold on to all that stuff, it just anything in life. If you hold on to negative stuff or what people say or whatever of course you, you're lying if you don't say it affects you yeah but you've got to let go of it because ultimately you're the only one who suffers yeah was there a little bit of you just mentioned you grew up with nicole so yeah. was there a little bit of i remember he went back at you and he said no no you want to know this better. yeah they did like yeah. was there a bit of that that you were no i just thought no. they were i thought they were Reasonable, fair, topical, newsworthy well, questions. It's in every day you read about yeah, them. Like, so, yeah, they were topical. You know, it's just curious. If you, if you don't, 
you don't answer answer me, cop it. If you if yeah. you do, you cop it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was well, a certainly, would have loved it certainly a memorable experience. Again, yeah. you got you you. you, you Potter along in life and someone will stop you and ask you about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, what other big names are some of the, your most enjoyable ones? Well, my first one was um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. He was a ripper. He was a ripper. He, uh, I really worked prepared on that, but I had some very funny moments with him. Yeah. I said, I'll be back. You sound fake. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. And um, who else? Angelina Jolie, I've interviewed twice. Yeah. You know, a lot of these people come, there's always big publicity teams around them and, and, and Angelina was just so low maintenance and um, I remember we interviewed, interviewed her twice in London and it was Lara Croft Tomb Raider from memory and we went to the premiere and we were going to get some vision of her on the red carpet and yeah. I remember the producer saying to me, when she gets close, give her a kiss. I said, I'm not giving her a kiss. Yeah. Give her a kiss, it'd be a great moment. I said, I'm not giving her a kiss. You can't just lean in and kiss her. Yeah. Anyway, he said, go on, go on. So anyway, something came over me and I went in to give her a kiss and we went <laughs> and headbutted each other. Absolutely headbutted each other. And she was like, what? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry. The producer told me that. Drew Barrymore, Arnold, Angelina, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, um, Tom Hanks. Wow. Okay. What a lovely human being. Right. He was terrific. I did him in Venice. Um, at the Venice Film Festival. Yeah. Just amazing. I had 20 minutes with him. And, in the, you know, you've got to get in that 20 minutes. You've got to get a 12-minute story. Yeah. You've, you, and you, you've got to hit every point and you've got to make it flow. And, it, and uh, I remember there was a balcony overlooking Venice off this big ballroom we were interviewing. And all the publicity people said, you can only interview him. You can't go. We like to go for a walk with them and just get another yeah. shot. It looks like you've hung out yeah. with them. Yeah. Anyway, I had the, the clock running and... I knew I had about four or five minutes left, so I was in control. I said to Tom, could we go out onto the balcony and get a shot? And you could, I could feel the steam of the publicity people, but it didn't bother me. Tom said, of course we can. So yeah. we went out on there and he gave us a beginning, a middle and an end of the story. He said, hey, look what, 60 minutes, look where they're staying and showed the view. Then said something in the middle and then walked out of frame and went bye-bye at wow. the end. Real pro, gentleman, very enjoyable interview. Okay, so you just mentioned he's a real pro. Let's say there's someone making their way as a, as a celebrity. Mm. I think you just, there's some magic there. He gave you respect. Yeah. He knows that you're trying to do yeah. the best job spot you on, possibly hey. can. Spot on. He gave you respect. You give it back. The story's bigger. Yeah. He gets bigger. I call it, he, he gets it. He, he gets, gets it. it. A lot of actors find it a chore that when they reread the clause in their contract that says you've got to do movie publicity. And then you, can't, you can only ask four questions about the movie or five questions, then it becomes a profile, you know? And, yeah. But he, and he gets that. Yeah. So he comes in, and whether it's a performance or whatever, he gets what I have to do or whoever, whether they're from J Japanese TV, British TV, American, he gets it. And that yes. was amazing. That was amazing. You know, I interviewed Bruce Willis, yeah. and that was a really troublesome interview. He, he wasn't in... He just wasn't in a great mood, and, and, and I remember it was a, it was a pretty... Um, fractious interview and and then as I reflect he's got um, I think it's, it's dementia or he, he's got oh, right. and, and, and I just wonder as I reflect whether you know there was some early early moments even that long ago and I, so I, uh, it's in, interesting to think back to that I can still see that interview and, and wonder if, if there was some tiny little moments because he wasn't he wasn't in a good mood and he wasn't happy and i i felt sorry yeah, for him okay yeah. 
Well, Just a, that's an aside. Yeah, well, but it kind of leads me into, I guess, you're very passionate about the mental health space. Yeah. You're very aware, even now reflecting on that, you're very aware of what possibly could have been going on. Mm. I noticed, and, and, you know, people could only have to look you up, the amount of work you and your wife do in the mental health space. Is there any message there you would like to share briefly on, uh, on this episode? Well, I, th- I think mental health touches everyone. Yeah. It certainly touched our family in a big way with... Um, Jessica's mother and with bipolar and, yeah. and you know, had some pretty um, full on times with that. And it's, it's confronted us as a family when Jessica um, had terrible postnatal depression, terrible after the birth of our first child and that coincided with her losing her job at Channel 9 as host of Today Show while she was on maternity leave. And it was a real, and I was a reporter for 60 Minutes and it was a really, really, really tough time whereas i was traveling she was desperately unwell and um so had a front row seat to some pretty pretty full-on stuff and uh the message i suppose is you know is is, and we is you've got to talk about it and i'm very acutely aware of it at work i I observe people and i uh, you know i'll just go over and say what's going on are you all right what's okay and, and 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 they'll often open up and you say right well let's just uh Let's just keep talking and see what we can do. Yeah. So that's really important to me is to observe my colleagues and make sure they're okay and talk to them and understand. And they know, you know, my story and yeah. and Jessica with Jessica and stuff. So that and I, even our kids, we encourage them, you know, to be courageous. It's courageous to say, "Hey, I'm not feeling so great." Yeah. Don't hide it. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that, and that must have been a, cause, because before you said the 60-minute job, you travelled eight months of the year. Up to eight months, yeah. So, and then your wife was going through that. That oh, must have been... Awful. So, and then, is that why you stopped 60 minutes? No, just uh, things things changed at nine, and they wanted me to go into the news. And, okay. Yeah, so that no, wasn't the reason, but yeah. 60, 60 minutes was great in terms of... I I confided, you know, with my bosses, and, and uh, they were they they were great in managing. And Jessica's a big advocate and speaker on this topic now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She has been for years yeah. and years, years. Who's the better presenter in front of the TV? Do you ever have a little comment? <laughs> like, what do the kids think, mum or dad? Well, because <laughs> what's because her role now is Channel Ten, right? No, she she's, she's not in not, TV. She's anymore. not in TV anymore. No, no. She was. She, yeah, she was a. Ch- Jessica was at Channel 10 for many years. She read the evening, the five o'clock news with Ron Wilson for a long time, at least a decade, I think. Then she was at Studio 10 after the Today Show. Yeah. But now she's got a great business called Crap Housewife, which, okay. um, and, and that, that's one arm of her business. And the other arm, she does a lot of speaking. Right. Uh, 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 and that's taken her to places like Singapore, all around Australia. Yes. So who's the better presenter? Put it this way. I say to the kids, you're lucky you've got my looks. And they go, we do not. We've got mum's looks. So we'll answer it like that. That's, uh, imagine she was presenting news at five o'clock into people's homes and you popped up at six. Well, what, I'll tell you an even what, better story. When, we're, when we were both at Channel 9, someone said, oh, we'd like you two to host the Today Show. And I said, you are kidding me. What a great way to ruin a man- marriage. Yeah. Ruin two careers <laughs> and ruin a program. No, no way, way in the world. Yeah. So, Peter, you do a lot of stuff for charities. Yeah. Now, I know you. there's so many that you do that people wouldn't even know about and, yeah. because you don't do it for that. But 
what does this mean to you? Because it must take up a lot of time. Yeah. And it's an interesting yeah. question because it. What am I, uh, I've got teenage daughters and, and uh, I'm out a lot, you know, hosting functions or, or whatever. And not that long ago, I came home one night and my 14-year-old, who is articulate, tells you how it is. There's no sugarcoating. Yeah. Great young woman. She said to me, Dad, geez, you're good how you help all these people. Yeah, you do a great job helping all these charities and these people. And she paused and she said, don't forget us. And it sat me on my backside like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. I was like, wow. I said, do, do you feel I'm out a lot? She said, yep. And we're here. Don't forget us. So I'm actually, you know, it's important now after 35 years of doing it to start winding, winding it back a bit. Yes. Because teenagers, you can't have that time back. You can't then sit when they're long gone and, you know, married or whatever and go, oh, geez. Wished I was there for that. Yeah. And that's what she's taught me now. I'll tell you another story about Giselle. Her music festival at her school is magnificent and she plays the French horn. Right. And every year they have it at the Opera House, the music festival. And she said to me, because I work on a Sunday and it's on a Sunday night, you go to Simon, who's my news director, and you tell him that on this date you will not be reading the news because you will be at the music festival for your daughter, Giselle. Wow. I said, oh, it's, it's, Sundays are important. She said, no, nothing's more important than you being in the audience watching me perform. I need you there, Dad. Yeah. So I went to Simon and repeated it word for word. I hadn't even finished. He said, of course you of go. Of course. He's really good with family and stuff. But it's only, I must say, Hayden, in the last handful of years that I've Maybe that's because, you know, I've done well in my career and I feel that I can do that, maybe. But it's also really because the kids have the gone, kids. Well, bang, this is how it is and we want you. And to have your kids engaged with you, and I think I'm a really good dad and I know Jessica's a really good mum, and them saying, I want you there is yeah. like winning the lottery. That's a great story and you just kind of bring memories back for me. I've got teenage kids myself. And I was doing a job once which involved living away with a team and I'd only come home once a weekend. At that stage, my son was, my youngest son was only 10, but I got a tip off from Marco Mealy. Yep. Uh, great player, great, who, who would go and visit this, my son's school and, in, and, and inject a heap of love of rugby league into those young kids. So I was 10 years old, my son at the time. Sorry about the dog in the That's background. Fine. Just my, for the audience. My, uh, I got this phone call. I said, mate, I went to your son's school and I said to the teacher, I pointed out a kid, he said, oh, that boy's struggling a little bit. His dad's not home. It was like a knife just, mm. just like went through me. I flew home. I was on the Gold Coast, flew home, took him down to the beach and said, what if dad comes home? And his face and his... Oh, it me too. Oh, and I, I, I flew back to the Gold Coast. I went and took two great friends for a beer, Scott Campbell, Craig Catterick. We sat around a beer and I told them just what happened. And Scott Campbell said, mate, you, yeah. have, you have to go home. Yeah. You can't tell your son you're coming home. You yeah. have to come home. Yeah. And, and even your bit there with the charities, a great mentor to me and great friend, great man, Rod Reddy. Remember Robert yeah, Reddy? Robert, Rod Reddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he used to tell me, because we all like doing good things for other people and charities and things. And he used to say, charity starts at home. Mm. He used to say, charity mm. starts at home, H. Mm. And 
I used to pay out and we'd always throw money in after a game that someone would, and we'd all put money in that would go to the hospital, Westmead Hospital. And I would always make sure, so basically we're having a free dinner anyway. <laughs> I would always make sure there was a few notes thrown mm-hmm. in. And Rocket would he'd chuck a couple of coins in. I'd go, Rocket, what are you doing? And he'd go, charity Charity starts (laughs) but little do people know rocket does loads of stuff of course um but charity starts at home you've Mm. worked that out but some of the ones you do um uh, around the the brain and stuff i do i do motor neurone disease i do mental health i do special olympics australia for intellectually disabled athletes i've been with them since 2001 right um what else i I do uh, sydney children's hospital uh uh, I do a royal ride. I go out there. I do. We have a wall of fame out there where people with terrible brain injuries and they, their rehabilitations, they've really done well. And so we tell that they tell their story in front of their families and carers and doctors. Yes. And then they have a plaque on a wall and their photo on their story. And I, I, I was asked about nine years to do that. And I go out. I've just done it a, a little while ago. It's amazing. I come home and I think to myself, people's lives change like that. It's the it's the triathlete who's training who clips the side of a roundabout yeah. and ends up with a terrible brain injury. It's the um, person on the motorbike. It's yeah. the person riding the moped over the Harbour Bridge to work and a bus stops suddenly. And it's just a real recalibration in yes. your thinking about. And I tell the kids, you know, these, these are people, these are mums and dads yeah. there. And, and like that, their life has changed. I really respect what you do there with that charity. One of our great supporters of this podcast, Pertec, they're great friends of mine. Oh, yeah. they, uh, the owner, uh, Peter Duncan, he does a lot called the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Ward at St. Vincent's mm-hmm. Hospital. It's named after him. Mm-hmm. Puts so much in. Wouldn't do it for any recognition. No. But, but that's the but key. Very passionate about. I, I, I try to do more under the radar. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And... And, I, and, and it's actually quite fulfilling um, to just do it. Yeah. Not do it for any other reason. Is there any hard times where you've had to get over, where there's a little lesson in there about getting over? I mean, there's great lessons before about just forgetting it, moving on, staying calm, focused next job. Mm. But was there any hard times in this pretty glamorous career? Glamorous career. Hmm. Well, <laughs> glamorous to most people. Like, it's not glamorous. It's just, you know what, I'll tell you, it's funny, we had our 40-year school reunion the other day and people say, you've done well, and I go, well, so are you. You're a, yeah. you're, 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 you're a brain doctor Surgeon, or, yeah, yeah. or you're a copper or you're a nurse or you're a paramedic or you've transitioned to, uh, from male to female. Oh, that, that's success. Yeah. That's, that's something to be proud of. The only thing is you see me do my job. That's right. Yeah. I don't see you be a cop. I don't see you be a computer person or whatever. Um, yeah. And I'm very conscious, acutely aware of that. Um, things affect you. There's no question about that. I think in news, I'll just use one example. Um, as, as a news reader, I'm very big on it's up to the person at home to have their emotional, emotional reaction to a story as opposed to me imparting that. So I try to, it's nuanced, you know, a sad story, you don't read it with a jovial voice. But I have watched newsreaders in the past, they can go almost melancholy when it's sad. And it's it's not up to us to be melancholy to tell the story. It's nuancing. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Nuancing your delivery, but not going. And uh, anyway, oh, 
couple of years, you remember that story um, in Brisbane where the mum and the kids are in the car and the um, disgruntled husband, the most heinous act of domestic violence, torched them in the car and incinerated them. And that was a national story. And I remember it came to the funeral and we, I read the intro to the story. And the last shots in the story, the reporter talked about the one casket and mum and the girls all in the one casket together and then came out to me. And I was just, I was, I was so upset. I got really wavery in my voice and my eyes were really glassy. I was thinking of my daughters. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the moment where it, it's that example that really did affect me in my job. But as someone, I, I sort of apologised when I went back to the news and I said, no, 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 we were all the same. To be honest, everyone at home would have been the same too. Yeah. You, you, and it's just those, those occasional stories that really, really get you. But that's human too. Yeah. There's, I mean, we just also mentioned police officers before. Does the effect that have on you, do you get, do they counsel people in, in the media space? Like, How does that affect you mentally? Because yeah. there is so many, as you say, there's so many people in that space, that police space, emergency space, yeah. that they have problems later in life. Yeah. Does Look, we're, we're very, con- our employers, nine, they have, you know, there was a story um, recently, the, the greeter bus crash after the wedding, yes. where the bus rolled yeah. and, and it was horrific. Yeah. And we sent a lot of teams up there, news crews. And I remember emailing all the reporters just to check in on, you, you, you know, you, you guys going okay? Yeah. And we also, our news director puts out an email as well saying, you know, this has been confronting for everyone and you've seen things and all of that and there is support, you know, support for you. And I think that's excellent because perhaps in years gone by, it would be just get on with it. So it's important that those um, supports are in place. Now, we're not, you know, when you're a first responder, they're they're seeing stuff that we can't even contemplate. But just, I think it's important when a news crew goes out and they are reporting on a story, and it's not just at six o'clock, it's on a very hungry news cycle, daily news, uh, afternoon bulletins, morning bulletins, today show bulletins, radio bulletins. Yeah. They're, they're, they're talking about terrible, yeah. terrible things, and it's important to have those support in place. Well, it is because I feel sometimes, to be honest, sometimes I won't watch the news because mm. you feel yeah. there are a lot of stories that can be depressing yeah good evening here's what's bad about your day yeah and then but for you you've got to have things in place to deal with that yeah i'm I'm, I'm good at it too you know i suppose i'm I'm good at and i'm not on the front line yeah as a reporter anymore so but it's um that's why look you talk about it can be depressing i remember during covid we we made a our our mantra basically was you know we report the facts of a big story yeah. First half hour of the bulletin usually. But we always used to try and find hope every day. Yes. And that was really important to me that we had some hope. Because we all would, you know, when you'd interview an expert, you question, what yes. do you see? What, where do you think this is going to go? Do you think yeah. this will end soon? My children want to know, will this end soon? They want to get back to school. So hope. Well, that's a good point because the country needed you then. 
at that stage, every night needed, had, needed yeah. some hope. And, and yeah. you know, we were doing bulletins at 11 o'clock at night with massive numbers because of the hunger for information. Yeah. That's the biggest story I'll ever cover in my career, yeah. I have no doubt. Right. Yeah. I would love to talk to you all day, but we can't. <laughs> I mean, we, you prime ministers, the Pope, actors, Hollywood, like Air Force, Defence, like, it's crazy where we could go. But I, I, I would like to finish this a little bit. I, I did read about your father was in the, was in the Defence Force. Yeah. Is that right? You well, mentioned he was a doctor. Yeah, he was the Professor of Paediatric Anaesthesia for, I think, nearly 40 years at the Children's Hospital. The he was the out, best lesson he ever had. And the Westmead. And there, but he was also a colonel in the Royal Australian Army Reserve. So he was very chuffed when I went into the Air Force Reserve. Of course, yeah. And uh, look, the best lesson, Dad's 86. I still give him a... Kiss every time I see him. Saw him yesterday, he and mum. And, you know, they're getting old in front of our eyes and you think your parents are bulletproof. Yeah. But dad is the most caring, invested, beautiful um, human being. That's why he was a kid's doctor. Right. And people still to this day. I had a paramedic. Dad, dad was one of the founders of the paramedic service in New South Wales. Oh, okay. And he's yeah. only up until three years ago was still lecturing them. Right. And we all went out. His 10 grandchildren... His, his four children and their spouses and mum went out for his final lecture. And a paramedic pulled me up out the front of our house the other day and he said, say good day to your daddy. He lectured me in 88. Wow. And they, if I go by an ambulance and it stopped and they're having a coffee, say good day to your dad. How's your dad? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So dad's a giver. He's a, and he, he is a giver. He, great communi- communicator, empathetic. Just do something good for your community is all he wanted us to achieve at school. Just do something good for your community and be happy doing it. And I suppose that's the lesson he's taught us. We can see that influence, mate, and he must be proud now because you are giving your community just so happens to now be <laughs> a country. Yeah, but I'm sure you do it locally too. But I talk to Dad every night on the phone. Do you? Every night. I ring him and we just have a quick chat. And he always says, I'm proud of you, son. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, thanks so much, Peter. Thank you, Hayden. Really appreciate it. That'll make a difference in many different ways there, but also pretty entertaining as well. I love that chat. Good on you. Lovely to chat. Thanks. Good on you. Some of the best learning you will ever do will be talking and listening over a beautiful glass of red, which brings me to thanking our sponsors at Mortimer's Wines. Mortimer's are a family-owned vineyard in the beautiful region of Orange, New South Wales, Australia. The historic 150-year-old schoolyard building that is now the cellar door, it provides a great atmosphere to taste their fine wines. Visit mortimerswines.com.au. Some of the best learning you will ever do will be traveling. Give yourself space, time to creatively think, to learn, to meet people, or take a vacation with your family. Give yourself that time. And there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripadeal. Their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish. They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripadeal is the place to go. Tripadeal.com.au